Praise the Lord. You may be seated. It is always such an honor and privilege to be allowed to speak in this pulpit because this is home. And it is such a joy to speak with the people that I know and love best and to give a word. And I will be honest, um, the Lord has been dealing with me a lot with all sorts of fun things. Um, and you can say, oh, well, Sister Caitlin, that's just because you've got pregnancy hormones and because your husband is away. You know, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. And it's also your crazy time of year. Also fair. I've got nothing for you other than that. Except that I have found that in the midst of my circumstance, what's so wonderful about the Lord is he never lets your circumstance go just for granted. He never says, oh, well, isn't that a perfect storm of events? And he just leaves it as is. He's always got something sweet. He's always got a lesson to be learned, a little nugget of gold in the midst of the storm, honey in the rock, if you will, something sweet. And I have to say, he's been giving me a whole lot of sweet. Amen? And that encourages me a lot. And I'll be even more honest with you, Pastor's sermon last week, I don't know about y'all, but it nailed me to the floor because he told me afterwards, he was like, I was so excited reading it. I was so encouraged that Jesus was the sacrifice for all those sacrifices. And, you know, I was studying and getting my praise on. And he said, and it was quiet. And I told him, I said, well, Pastor, I just got to be honest with you. I'm so glad you were so encouraged and so blessed. But all I could think of is I feel like that that animal on the altar on the gambrel about to be slaughtered, skinned, and burnt alive. <laughs> and so even in the midst of all of that, it's just been so timely and so on point and so like the Lord to give us such a good word. And the word we heard this morning about getting into his word and loving it and cherishing it, it's just... This is what the Lord does. So I am hoping and praying that he has continued that vein on with what he has given me to give to you tonight. And we know we can go ahead. Sister Tracy, you got the power. Um, we are growing apostolic legacy, which means, of course, that we're not ending here, but we're taking what we have and we're moving it on into the next stage, the next step. And that's one of the things that I love about the Word of God is that you can read the same chapter, the same book, the same verses hundreds and hundreds of times and get something new and fresh every single time you read it. There is no stale bread when it comes to God. And so you say, well, I've heard this story before. I've heard this lesson. Just listen. He'll show you something new. And so I'd like us to consider this thought. There's just one thing that I know. Now, when I first think of that phrase, I, my, my psych brain says, well, I actually know a lot of things. But the truth of the matter is there's only one thing that really matters. I can know a lot of extra fluff, but there's only one thing that really matters most. And we can see that in the story found in uh, the book of John, chapter 9. And you really should read this whole chapter. It's uh, like 41 verses. We're not going to read 41 verses with it. 
But you really should because it's so powerful. Because if you look even at the preceding chapter, Jesus has just been in the synagogue and he's been talking to people and telling the rulers, look, I am before Abraham was, I am. And they were so mad, they were ready to stone him and throw him off a cliff. And he just kind of moved through the crowd. And then chapter 9 opens up and says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. So right there, Jesus was on his escape route. He was sneaking out through the crowds where they just didn't even see him. And he saw this man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked, you know, quite frankly, I think a rather rude question. Because he said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I read that as a school psychologist, and that says to me, what is your underlying trauma? Are you the source of your issues, or was there past childhood trauma? Do you have generational problems going on? Tell me about your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your grandpa. And you know what's amazing about the Lord is that very rude question of whose fault is it that you have a problem that they apparently didn't have any issue bringing up in front of the man. Have you ever felt like somebody's talking about you, not behind your back, but right to your face? <laughs> but not like to you. They're talking about you and you're like, hello, I am right here. Right? Right? He said, look, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Well, now, wait a minute. As Jews, that was kind of the thing. Bad things happen when you do bad things. But God said, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, I'll be real. There are some issues and problems that we all deal with that you know who the root source of it is? my own self and my own flesh. I did things I had no business doing, thought thoughts I had no business thinking, went places I had no business going. And you know what? The Lord said, I love you enough. I'm going to let you deal with the consequences of it. I'll help you with it. But it was your F-L-E-S-H, your flesh, right? Then there are those things that we've been done to Somebody else caused a heart, a trauma, a grief, right? An injury of some variety, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. But then now notice this. He said there's almost this third category. He said, where I'm allowing something to happen to you so that you can display the works of God in your life. Whoa. That's pretty mind-blowing, especially because I'm sure that young man, because he was begging, and we know that from later verses, I'm sure there were a lot of times that he thought and his parents thought throughout his life, where did we go wrong? Whose fault is this? Who's to blame? What great sin that my son would be born blind? I'm sure there was lots of arguments. Well, it was you. If you'd have done, if you'd have taken out the trash that first time I asked you to do it, and then I wouldn't have gotten mad and threw my sandal at you. Well, no, it was you. If you would have just held your tongue when your mother was saying something. Mm. 
right? And I'm sure they went back and forth, and yet the Lord said, look, this is all about uh, the Lord's response. This is what God is wanting. And now notice, Jesus almost does a little sidebar. Because he says, look, I answered your question. This has nothing to do with the parents or the, the son. It's about manifesting the works of God. But I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus had this whole little sidebar conversation. He said, look, God has allowed this to happen to manifest his works, and I have to do what God's asked me to do. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent, now notice this, he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. So let's go to the next slide. Why is that important? Because we got to remember some things about this blind man. He was blind from birth. He was begging when Jesus passed by. And we know that because in the later verses that we're not going to read tonight, but trust me, they're there. You can read them if you want. But it says, wasn't this the blind man who was begging and has been blind from birth and has been begging there at that same spot? Yes, okay. Why was he blind? We don't know. It could be he sinned. It could be that his parents sinned. And God said, no, it's to show, watch me roll up my sleeves and do what I do. Now notice this. He found his way to that pool by himself. I don't know how far he was from that pool. I don't know if he had to feel his way, if he had somebody he grabbed and said, will you take me there? If he just felt along the houses and the walls and was listening for the running water. The Bible doesn't say, but he made his way there by himself. Now think about it. He made his way through the streets to the pool with mud on his face. He was already a, a beggar. And not just mud, but spit mud. My great-grandma used to say, there's clean dirt and dirty dirt. And spit mud from the city streets sounds a lot like dirty dirt to me. And yet you don't hear him gripe. You don't hear him complain. You don't hear him be like, dude, what'd you just put on my face? I'm going to be honest. That would be one of the questions that I would have asked. Especially because it, it seems like he knew what was happening around him. So I'm sure he heard the spit happen. And he was just chill with that. He had no knowledge of what Jesus looked like, who he was, where he went, where he could find him. So what expectation did he have of him? And I'll be real, when we're talking about expectations in God... There have been plenty of times in my own walk where I've thought to myself, okay, Lord, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do in the way, shape, and form that I thought you were going to do it. Now, just like Pastor said, when we're talking about being a burnt offering, we get to choose that response and to say, am I willing, though, to say, okay, let me sacrifice my expectations to you and trust that you've got a better plan, or am I going to just be like, you didn't do what I thought you should do in the way, shape, and form that I thought you should do it. And let me tell you why that's a problem. 
I'll be real. I don't have the the courage to stand before the Lord and tell him how his plan is wrong. And how he just didn't do it quite the right way. Part of me, that little fleshy, like gnarly part of me, wants to be able to do it and to tell God, well, this is how I think you did, you messed up there. But then the other part of me remembers what Job said when he hit the floor and was like, finally, when the Lord started calling him out, I just hate myself. And I don't want to have that experience with God. Amen. And he had no expectation. There's no indication that this blind man called out, son of David, have mercy on me. Give me my sight. He was asking for money. He was seeking provision. And yet when you read down later, he comes back and he's got his sight. And the neighbors around are like, hey, are you that guy? You look different enough being able to see that although you are my neighbor, I'm just not 100% sure it's you. Like, yes, it's me. I was blind from birth. What happened? Well, this man came. He put clay on my eyes, told me to go wash, and I came back I could see. And they're like, this is just far-fetched. We're going to take you to the Pharisees. Let the, the teachers of the law meet with you. And they said, okay, tell us what happened. Well, this man came. He put clay on my eyes. He told me to go wash. And now I can see. Well, that made the Pharisees reel up tight. And they said in John chapter 9, verse 24, they called him again, the man that was blind, and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. And notice this. Now, again, this is a blind man. He hasn't been able to study the book of the law. He hasn't been able to study the scripture. He might have been able to hear something that other people were talking about, but he's not any great student of the Lord. And he said, look, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know. That whereas I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him again. <laughs> you feel like you've been asked the same question? You give the same answer all the time? What did he do to thee? What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered them, I have already told you. I have made this very clear. And you haven't heard a word I've said. Do you really want to hear it again? Are you going to be his disciples too? Why? He spoke really bold to those Pharisees. But something empowered him and enabled him because he had an experience. He had an opportunity to say, there's only one thing I know. I don't know about why he did it, how he did it, what the magic was in the mud, how it happened, but there's only one thing that I know or care about. I was blind, now I see. The wither twos and the y fours and all of that, that's not, that's not important. I was blind and now I see. And as far as I'm concerned, that's enough for me to follow him as well. Then they reviled him. Go ahead, next slide. And said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not where from whence he is. 
And the man answered and said to them, why? Herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. You say, why is this so important? Because when things come and they mock and they revile and they say, I don't, you say that you're a Christian and that you say this and that God's so awesome, but let me show you this and what's happening in the world right now and all that's going on. He said, you know what? It doesn't matter. You act like you don't know where he is, but I'm looking at my own change in my own life. And I can tell you what he's done for me is enough of a witness and is enough of a testimony to tell me exactly who he is, who I am to him, and what he is. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. How powerful. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like. There's no indication that he followed along with the crowds when he was feeding people and fish and loaves of bread. But this blind man who had no experience, no anything beyond this one interaction had more insight and more vision of who God was and his intent than those people who had studied the law for years. They answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? I know your past. I know your issues. And now you're going to quote scripture to me? And tell me that the Lord is good and all of these things. They cast him out. And now notice this. It's not often that you see Jesus seeking out those that he's healed. But here we go. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he, if you read it in the Amplify, it's a capital H. When he had found him. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Why is this a big deal? Go ahead. Because who gets to choose my response to God but me? That's on me. I get to decide what to do. And what's so wonderful about that is that means I get to have a part in my own miracle. That blind man did what he knew to do. He was told, get up and go wash. He said, okay, I'm going to get up and go wash. Well, but why did Jesus have to use spit mud? I don't know. He didn't tell me why he was going to use spit mud. I had no expectation of what the spit mud was for. But when he gave me direction, I got up and I did it. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus told a disciple, now you go escort him down to the water and let him wash. He doesn't say that Jesus led him down to the water to wash. The Lord said, I want you to do some things on your own to be a part of your own miracle. Now, that man could have very easily said, you just put mud on my face. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to get this mud off right now. And guess what would have happened? He'd have missed out on his miracle. If he hadn't been willing to, to receive the spit bath 
and not in the way that we would use it. But if he hadn't been able to receive that mud on his face, had not been willing to take all of that in and then to stumble his way down to that pool, if he had not been willing to do his part, his miracle would have stopped right there. And now notice this next point. God goes beyond my expectations. There's no indication that that man was looking for a healing. But isn't that just like the Lord? He says, you were looking for something else, what you wanted, and I'm here to deliver what you need. You say, well, I think I know what I need. No, you know what you want. <laughs> you know what you want, but not what you need. And I'll tell you what, going through this back and forth with David, going back to Australia and here and all of those wonderful things, which are not wonderful at all, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt what I want. What I wanted was those papers to come in in October. But looking back, I can tell you what we needed was that time. Why? Because the Lord has invested things in me. He's invested things in him that both of us need to be able to go forward. You say, well, Sister Caitlin, couldn't the Lord have done that without? Absolutely. The Lord can do what he wants any way, shape, and form that he wants. And yet, he delivers not only what I want, but most importantly, what I need. And so when, why is this so important? Because when we go about our day-to-day -day and we're confronted with, man, I just don't know, you know, I'm faced with this set of circumstance and, and what happens and it looks really bad right now. It's cancer or it's a lost job or it's a this, that, and the other. Romans 8 and 28 says, we know that all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, but what about, what about this one thing? I feel like this is a really good opportunity. It's a great job, or it's this, it's that, it's the other, and I just feel like the Lord just keeps shutting doors in my face. Well, one thing I know, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You say, well, but I've got all of these needs, and I'm struggling financially, or I'm struggling with this, that. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What about those times where I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory and I've failed? The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And why is that so important? Because John, 1 John, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. But I'm so afraid. What if I mess up and I go to hell and what happens? Let me tell you, the Lord loves us. It's not his will that any should suffer and perish. He said, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I tell you, you read the news and you see the headlines and there's nothing that is edifying and encouraging and uplifting about any of it. But he said, look here. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love, but we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 
One thing I know, he loved me first when I was in my worst state, when I didn't have any good sense to know him, when I had no realization of who he was or that I was in such desperate need. He loved me first. I can't do enough to woo him. I can't sing enough. I can't work enough. I can't do enough good works to be like, hey, check out my profile. I'm only able to come to him because he loved me first. You say, well, I just don't feel like God loves me. I'm going through this, that, and the other. One thing I know, he loved me first. Why is that important? Because in Hebrews it says, Wherefore he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. He said, look, I can save you. I can keep you no matter what you're facing. I'm able to grab a hold of you. And why is that important? Because I'm making intercession for you. We have an advocate, a high priest, and the three Hebrew boys got that so well when they were going about to be thrown into the fire and they said, oh, king, we don't know if our God will. We don't know if it's a part of his plan. We don't know if he's able to deliver us. That's what they're talking about. Not like, is he able, does he have power and authority? But we don't know if it's part of his will, part of his plan to deliver us. But if not, I hope you know we're not going to bow. We're not going to serve your idols. One thing I know. I don't know if he will, but I know he's able. I don't know how he's going to meet my expectation, but I know he's going to go beyond it. I don't know how those papers are going to come through, but I know they will. I don't know how cancer is going to be resolved, but I know he's the great physician. I don't know how he's going to take care of my job, but I know he's my provider. I don't know how he's going to open the door, but I know he is the way, the truth, and the light. I don't know how he's going to make a way, but I know he's the way maker. And you say, well, Sister Caitlin, you've said there's only supposed to be one thing that we know. And you've listed a whole lot of things that we know. And I'm getting ready to close here. But the ultimate thing that we can say about the one thing is that no matter the circumstance we face, and we can read through the scriptures and we can see how Jesus performed one miracle after another after another. But the ultimate thing was when he made himself the ultimate sacrifice. He came, he lived, he died, and he got himself up. Nobody stood outside of that tomb and said, Jesus, come forth. He didn't need that. But he chose to go through what he went through, knowing his expectation was, when I get up through my resurrection, I've got a bride waiting on me. One thing I know if he can live, die, and get himself up again, he can take care of everything that I face. Would you stand? This word has been so meaningful to me for so many reasons. And I'll be honest, it's been something that I have clung, clung to going back and forth with all of that that's been happening with David and the paperwork and not knowing 
I told him before he left, I said, you know, it would be one thing if we knew, okay, this was the date they were coming in and this would be the next steps. And, but there's so much not knowing. That's what's hard. And then I felt convicted and I said, well, technically, I guess, suppose, you know, all of us are in the not knowing the next step. And yet both of us, when he got on that plane Tuesday, it was sad. I think we both probably shed some tears. I know I did. I won't call him out on it, though. But we both felt such a peace because we both know at the end of the day, we don't have it. We don't got the strength. We don't got the moxie. We can't say, hey, we're just going to knuckle down and do it. It's going to be great. But one thing we know is that the same God who opened the door to bring us together is the same God who's walking with us through the door, who's carrying us through the valley, through the mountain. And I look, and if I start naming names and testimonies, I'm going to get in trouble. But I look around this room, and there is not a single individual who has not been touched by the hand of God. And you say, well, is it because the Lord is trying to beat up on me? Is he trying to? I don't believe it. Because he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for your good, your prosperity, for you to have an expected end. You say, well, the lines of the story he's been writing with me, I haven't enjoyed. I get it. Even Jesus wept in the garden and said, please don't let me go through this. I understand it. I can empathize with it. He didn't meet the expectation that I had in my small envisioning. And yet, one thing I know is when he finally says, okay, now's the right time. This is the right door. This is the right path. Because I, and I've never been disappointed in him. Not a single time that he's told me to wait. As much as I've hated the waiting. Not a single time that he's told me no. As much as I've hated the closed door. Not a single time that he said go that way instead of this way. And I've been like that does not look like a comfortable road. Not a single time have I ever looked back and said you know you really didn't know what you were doing there. Rather one thing I know every time. I walk away with so many blessings and so much favor that if he were to ask me, will you lay down on this cross right now? I'll be honest with you. There was a time in my life I'd been like, oh yeah, sure, sure. But now it's like, yeah, I'm willing to go through that crucifixion because I trust in the promise of the resurrection. So if you have a need here tonight or you just want to say, Lord, let me be that burnt offering again. Let me sacrifice to you. Remind me of those things that I know in your word that I cherish. Show me again. We're going to open this altar.